Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. We are, of course, on Ghana country. Agsa Miena Ghana Yatangai Yuandi Natalia. Tonight, I have the great honour and pleasure of, first of all, welcoming you all back to First Friday. <laughs> this is our first First Friday event in six months. We are so delighted to have you back in the house and it is incredibly heartening to see so many people here. Thank you for loving us so much. Tonight, we are going to have an opportunity on the very eve of the launch of a really incredible project to dig down and to talk about the project. I'm actually standing in tonight for my colleague, Maria Zagala, who's the Associate Curator of Prints and Drawings. She worked closely, as did we all with the team from Restless, to pull off a project that is really one of a kind. It uh, defies categorization, I think, in the best possible way. And tonight, what we're going to do is we've got about 30 minutes, 40 minutes to hear about the project. And I'm going to be throwing to our guest presenters, not literally, you'll be very pleased to know. <laughs> I'm joined on my right by Jeff Cobham, who's lighting designer of the Seeing Through Darkness project. <laughs> Michelle Young, director, of course, artistic director of Restless. Centrally placed, as she should be. <laughs> and our musicians, who you'll also hear from, Hilary Kleinig and Emily Tulloch. So please join me in welcoming them all. I'm going to pop up here and start asking some questions. There might be time at the end for some questions from you as well. We'll see how we go. I would like to throw to Michelle, because as I mentioned, this is one of a kind. This is a project that really has no touchstones anywhere else, to my knowledge at least, in the way that it brings many things together in the one place and in the same t in the one time. So Michelle, if I could just throw to you to give us a bit of a sense of how it emerged and in essence, the, the kind of composite parts, how they came together. I think we started about five years ago when we, uh, Roz and I first came to the gallery and pitched this idea to, to Lisa and to the gallery about bringing um, Restless into a space that is a public space so that people with disability are seen in a really beautiful light and finding a way of bringing, making like a live artwork. And I was very excited because uh, Lisa said to us that we could look around the permanent collection and choose an artist that really resonated with us. And I actually thought I would I'd find something that was very bright and, and happy and, and beautiful. But I actually immediately was drawn to the Rualts. Did I say that correctly? Yes, beautifully done. Oh, thank you, thank you, I've been practicing. Um, there was something about them that, that were very dark and heavy and um, some people might think that they're a little bit on the ugly side, but I automatically saw uh, real beauty in them. And I know as a person who had acquired disability, I, I always talk about how I felt like all the colour had been drained out of me and that there was this heaviness. And I have to say, after the last eight years at Restless, I feel like the colour has come back and it's very vibrant, like all the colours around here. 
But yes, I, I wanted to find something that was beautiful, beautiful music, beautiful lighting in a gorgeous setting such as the art gallery. And it's been something that I've has been a really big passion of mine to do. And I think we've done it very well. And I've been very lucky to assemble, well, actually, Ros and I, very lucky to assemble an amazing team of, of collaborators. And I love collaborating with people because I say, okay, Jeff Cobham, what is the phrase I always say? Well, I give a brief every year, and the brief is? Make me look good. No. <laughs> yeah, well, that too, but no, make the dancers look beautiful. It's just, yeah. So, I, you know, I love choosing people or working with people that I, I value their integrity and that their creativity and, and also allowing them to create the work that they want to be part of ours, so I, I'm not sure if I covered all of that. That's very beautiful. Okay. A little bit about Georges Rualt. You'll get to see his work, a selection of the series that we have here in the collection. Michelle's eye is pretty extraordinary. I mean, to be a choreographer, to draw with bodies, which is essentially what the word means, means that you have this incredible visual intelligence, and I think that was at work on the day that those that wall of Georges Rualt's kind of stopped you in your tracks. Absolutely. Absolutely did. He trained as a lead light maker, as a stained glass artist. And when you see the work in the next room, I think you'll see that connection. Mm. It's a very strong use of what artists call cloisonné, a very strong black line. He, a little bit like Restless, can't be pigeonholed, refuses to be pigeonholed, can't be categorised. He's often seen as a bit of a forerunner of the expressionist movement and is also associated with the fauves. He had a fascination with acrobats and dancers and people who at the time in the late 19th and early 20th centuries were seen to be kind of on the fringe. I think it's extraordinary that you saw and felt all of that without knowing it. Oh, I absolutely didn't know it at all. So, <laughs> so yeah. really an exceptional marriage, and that's the wonderful thing about a collection like this. You walked into the Melrose Wing, which at the time was brimming with so many works. We just relaunched the wing, and with incredible kind of precise vision honed in on that body of work. I'd love to hear from Jeff about how this process of in a sense, kind of the germination of the project spread from dance from the body into light. Yeah, so it was so such a uh, nice gift to be given those beautiful paintings and to be asked to, you know, try and bring them to life for all of us. But um, particularly lighting-wise, they really lent themselves. I mean, him being a stained glass, I mean, he's dealing in light coming through, <laughs> through yeah. things, which is basically what I'm doing as well. Um, but uh, I was also taken by the chiaroscura of his black and white work and how, you know, trying to find a way to express that. So we, we chose to use shadows and, you know, we start the piece with shadows on the wall which are trying to, you know, which are reflecting the images of his work. But also his coloured work, which it's not represented in the collection. It's not. We do have, well, actually, there is one work that mm. it's a highly coloured work, and we talked a lot about whether that would be in or not, and we felt that the journey was all the more kind of mm. vivid, you pardon the contradiction, if we stayed in the, in the world of the monochrome. 
Yeah, but um, we, we, the later part of the work, you'll notice we use the primary colours of lighting, which are red, green and blue, and uh, when they're mixed together, they create, they create white light on the dancers, but their shadows behind are multicoloured, which are the primaries and secondaries are being represented. And that, that to me, was a way of expressing his, his in his later work, I believe, he was, he was uh, much more drawn to bright, vibrant colour. So being able to use shadow uh, to express the earlier work and there's this rich primary colour mixing it to uh, express his, his later work was where we, was sort of the, way, the journey that we went on. And the other thing that I've been, for many, many years, I've always wanted to, to bring the way the sun moves in the sky into mm -hmm. the theatre. And I've never been able to because we could never afford it. <laughs> and all lights that are intelligent or robotic uh, move like this which is not very useful if you're trying to express an arc of light. So I have been, I have been looking at this Danish track from afar for many <laughs> years, and finally Michelle let me buy it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's our whole budget. It's very beautiful Danish track. It's the only company in the world that makes this uh, controllable track and it, it will take the little carriage to exactly the same point every time and is controlled by the same language that controls lighting, which is called DMX. So we're able to position those lights and have them go accurately to wherever we want. And I love seeing the shadows pull away from the other shadows and just seeing them move around the wall. And it's, it's, it's like an expression of a whole day in, sure you know, in 15 seconds, you get that travel. The dancers actually form sculptures mm. and they are still, and then the, the, the shadow moves around. And for me, it's like the moment where breath and life has been brought into the artwork. So Absolutely. Yeah, Can I get a sense from the audience of who has seen the performance already? I know that some of you came from that direction. So hands up if you have. Just a couple of you. Oh, a few of you. Fantastic. The season is already booked out. However, there is an opportunity to see the work when the work is not being performed because there is a projection of the work so no one will miss out. I want to throw... Oh, sorry, oh, so I was just going to say, during the projection as well, we run the lighting at the same time so you, yes. can, you can stand where the dancers perform and you can see your own shadow being projected and moving around the walls whilst you watch the video of the performance. Another reason that makes it, you know, another distinctive kind of singularity, I think. I want to go back to this idea of writing with bodies. And when I refer to that, I'm very conscious that on my left, Karina Morgan from our team is writing with her body in the most beautiful way. Karina is part of our team, our education team, and she gets to introduce herself now in Auslan. I love that, love playing tricks. Um, and we're really lucky to have Karina as part of our daily team here at the gallery. Michelle, tell us about how you write with a body. How do you get from viewing that work in the gallery and whilst it's incredibly moving and dramatic, it's still flat. It's still a two-dimensional image. How do you get from that to a moving body in space? Well, I really work with the dancers and they create a lot of the movement themselves. So we looked at the artwork and, you know, at first we started by just mimicking the, the positions, but then we looked at the relationships within in the pieces. So whilst there is that heaviness, there's some pieces that show friendship or some that show um, support and love. Um, and so we worked with that kind of concept as well. 
We also looked at the, all the names of the artworks because they're quite complicated, some of them, and uh, I would ask each dancer to think of a movement that represents that word. And so then we just, we bring all of those things together and I kind of mold it a little bit, but it's mostly a lot of from the dancers. And um, yeah, so we, we start moving that way. And I mean, th there's one piece, part in the piece where they all just stand in a line, their heads are down, and then they just look up. And for me, that's very clearly, he had a lot of artworks that had a very elongated neckline. And the looking up for me is the first time that the dancers actually really look at the audience members. So it's sort of inviting them to say, look, look at me. This is who I am. So. And the titles played a role. So the gallery's selection of Rualt Prince is much larger than what you can see tonight. And Michelle selected the works that spoke to her. Yes. And I believe that the titles played a role in that selection. Yes, well, we, we did quite a bit of research of looking into his work and we I actually read something that had Seeing Through the Darkness. Um, and yeah, it felt like it's, for me, it's, yeah, it, it's about a truth and an honesty for, for people to actually look through what you may not want to look through or, you know, to actually see who the person is. And so it feels like, you know, there's a darkness around and you really actually have to consciously make that choice to look. Hillary did point out to us that she didn't like the word the in the um, <laughs> title, so hence it got cut. Yeah, I, she was being very tentative saying, I just don't know. And Ros and I went, okay. Sure, yeah, because it made it actually made it have a, a deeper sense, uh, and it was a really great um, snip. So. <laughs> At what point did the various constituent? Did you always imagine that it was going to be something that had so many forms, so many points of articulation? I think, I mean, when I saw it for the first time actually in the gallery with the lights, because we used a little bit of the light, we tried the lighting at Restless, but our walls aren't four metres high. And then, and to have the music played out, you know, that you feel like you're immersed in this um, musical and lighting dance immersive event. And I actually teared up, like I know, and I've seen it many, many times. So, so yeah, I think um, I'm not surprised, but I am, I'm very happy with the work. And I, I think hopefully we'll be able to, you know, take this other places so that people can see the work. Because I do think it's, it's the combination of things that's quite extraordinary. It's just the world premiere tonight. And aren't we lucky yeah. here in Adelaide? There was no, no pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure at all. No pressure. Can I say what a thrill it is for the art gallery to give our space over to become such an important theatre? You know, these spaces are built for a kind of looking which is much more static in many ways. And whilst I think we're up for anything, in fact, Michelle was dancing through the Elder Wing in the 1990s, <laughs> it certainly is an absolute honour to work with you to craft a space that can be a space for dance and as Jeff said also a space where the audience participates yeah. in that I act. think that's been it's been really um, a great pleasure for us to actually be embraced in such a way and everyone at the art gallery has been amazing so no thank you and, and to the whole team for you know being brave to put us in this space and uh, yes it's been a, an honor Oh, yeah. And for tarping the roof. Yeah, there's there some little like special tricks that hopefully you won't notice. <laughs> well, you will, but you won't. I had the honour of, and the fun, in curating this selection in response to 
your incredible work because I was very conscious that when you enter these interconnected galleries that the mood of one space is going to impact upon the mood of another and vice versa. The experience of going into the performance is very different to the one of coming out actually. And I was conscious that that needed to be framed. It wasn't going to be appropriate just to kind of put a whole new conceptual layer over your show. <laughs> so this is called Chromatopia, which is about the color of place. And it's a selection of works from the collection. I found a painting on the lilac wall or the cornflower wall as you enter whilst we were closed. I didn't literally find it. Don't worry, we don't lose things here at the art gallery. I rediscovered it. It was being photographed for a publication. It's a painting by Dame Laura Knight, a British painter who I've always loved and couldn't quite believe that we have such a major work by her. It was painted in 39, acquired in the 50s. And it was the starting point. I was just struck by this jubilant image of a time of quite a lot of darkness, but also thinking through the idea of color and light. Mm -hmm. So that was, it was a very easy response. Now, Michelle and Jeff are going to collect a couple of special visitors, I believe, right now mm -hmm. for the next performance, which is great because we've got part two of this talk. How fabulous is that? Can I ask you to join me in congratulating and thanking them? <laughs> Guys, that was really fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff and Michelle. So I'm joined by Hilary and Emily, and you may know their work from Zephyr Quartet. I'm, I don't know a lot about how the musical component developed, so I'm genuinely fascinated. Ladies, tell us how it works, and tell us how it fits within your oeuvre, within your work. How did this, did it, was it like anything you'd done before? How did it feel? How did it go? There's a lot of questions there, yeah, but uh, <laughs> we'll try and remember every one of those. So the, the initial offer from Restless actually came as an offer for Zephyr Quartet to write and respond to this work. So Emily and I are both in Zephyr and we've worked together and composed together for various things over the years. So we do have a history of, of collaborating quite closely in terms of composing and playing, obviously. And then the quartet decided to have a break. So we thought, no, no, we still want to do this project. And I actually, I'd already started talking with Roz and Michelle and looking at the work and was really, really keen to be involved. And so Restless did a creative development in October a year ago. Yes. And so they used existing music that we had written as a quartet to frame that creative development. So we were aware of that and they videoed that. And the idea was that we would rewrite a score using some of the dance and some of the moods and things, but giving it a new flavor and a new twist. And then COVID hit. And so at the beginning of the year, I'd started creating ideas and I was, I was really inspired by the titles of the work as well. So one of the pieces that I've written, the end piece that you'll hear in the, the show is called Tomorrow Will Be Fair. And another work um, by George that I was really inspired by was uh, To Love Would Be So Sweet. So just very, very poetic titles. And yeah, and then COVID hit. <laughs> and so we were unsure, one, whether or not we'd be able to be here tonight. And we were meant to do it earlier in the year. Yeah, it was actually going to premiere as part of Sala. 
um, mm. we're lucky just to be a month late, to be honest. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And, and so Emily and I talked about, well, how are we going to do this? Like, realistically, we, we were trying to write music and we weren't sure whether or not we'd be able to, we, we couldn't see each other. This was during lockdown, let alone play together, let alone get in a recording studio with other people too. So in a way it, it created a really interesting working dynamic that is, worked quite well in the end because both of us just worked at home in our home studios. So we have both composed, played, recorded, mixed and mastered the work, which is something that I wouldn't have probably thought that I would do all that wow. initially. But because of COVID, it was like, okay, well, you do this. And so that's what we did. And in a way, both of our works have more than four parts. Yeah. And so they're much more layered than it would have been if perhaps we were writing for a string quartet. I was just about to yeah. comment on that. It's, it's almost impossible to believe that there are two performers behind yeah. that sounds and, and quite difficult. <laughs> I think, but I'm no musician to pin them to their source. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's ended up being quite an interesting, interesting process. So then it was a matter of trying to fit the bits to the the dance that existed, and also say, oh, we think we need some more music like this or whatever, mm. like that. Mm. Emily, can you talk a little bit about the diversity of sounds? Is that, would that be okay? Sure, I think, sure. You know, there's yeah. a sound in there. I'm like, is that a yidiki? Like, is that a didgeridoo? <laughs> no, li literally everything was made by cello or violin. Wow. Um, there's no, no tricks except for dialing up the reverb, which is a very good trick, good favourite of ours. No, as, as Hilary said, it was, a, it was a very unusual process and certainly um, something that challenged me in terms of the recording. I, it was not something I had self-recorded and edited and, and worked with in that way. Uh, before, but as we said, this is actually—it actually proved to be a really exciting way to work, and completely different from ways that we'd worked before. So, again, uh, an outcome that was not expected, but actually turned out to be a very um, fulfilling one, I think. Uh, yeah, and in terms of the soundscapes, yes, absolutely, everything created by by the two instruments, and. Again, that was a lot of playing, a lot of playfulness, in, particularly in certain sections where we were really experimenting and uh, seeing what we could create in this new environment. And so that did take things for me into quite a different... Normally, I would really write a piece yes. and take it to the quartet, normally who's playing it, and we would workshop and rehearse it and play it. This time, the, the pre-show music, the soundscape that plays as you enter the, um, the space is uh, was me recording multiple things sounds, effects, and stitching them together in a way that was really quite fun. So it was quite playful in, in that regard, even though the, the effect is not necessarily very playful. It's a little mellower than that. But um, I yeah. think they're really playful. Oh, there were certainly are. Maybe yeah. not, not at the beginning so much, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, ca I came out in tears, but a colleague came out and she said she laughed all the way through. And is there a sense to which you would give Michelle kind of some of the files or some of the sounds and then she would respond? Mm, there was a lot of back and forth and that yeah. was a really amazing way to work actually. I really, really enjoyed yeah. it. So as Hilary said, she started choreographing to some of our existing music. Yeah. Then we sort of took that, more or less divided it up section to section between the two of us and said, okay, I'm going to do this bit, you're going to do that bit. But then there was this other element of reverse where we passed her back some things and said, you know, 
how, what do you think about this? How is this working for you? Then sometimes the choreography had changed slightly in, in intention and mm -hmm. so suddenly something that we thought was capturing the right mood wasn't, wasn't had, had changed a little bit and so we would reflect on that. And I mean, personally, when I'm writing, I really love being given those mood words as inspiration. So mm -hmm. this needs to be a bit more playful or this is a joyful moment or this is a serene moment. Or, and, and we did a lot of back and forth. But what I also agree with, that, um, sorry, what I also enjoyed about that a lot was that it wasn't just Michelle saying, I want this. Do this. No. Yeah. Um, then she, ref she really reflected on space, mostly adding space or um, yeah. how, how set pieces connected sure. and how we felt that that could be expressed through music and then has really responded really beautifully to it really precise moments to create some really beautiful synergies yeah. and I really I, I love seeing that I love seeing there's a moment where um, a bit that I happen to have written one of the dancers responds with jumps to something which is exactly what I was imagining these uplifting moments and it's perfectly cued every time and I just yeah it makes me happy I think I'm just that's just my personality but <laughs> I like to no, see I things line up <laughs> I think we all feel happy at that moment I love the fact that it becomes an absolute call and response mm. you know the way Absolutely. it was made was a call and response what happens in the space is a call and response the, the music is responding the lighting is responding the dancers the are responding the entire concept is, is that absolutely and then we as participants either in its active mode or in its more passive mode I don't really like those words they feel a little <laughs> bit value laden but you know what I mean when there are bodies present and when there are bodies absent, that might be better, still works on that call and response idea. Because you stand in the space when there are bodies absent and you look to the east to see the performance. But then on the western wall behind you, and I can't help but think of Jeff's idea of the arc of the sun across the duration of a day, behind you is your own body. That really is an incredible moment that Michelle was uh, describing before. I felt like I only got to absorb that for the first time yesterday because in seeing the preview, because up until then we'd be very focused on the sound and getting that right. And so um, I finally sort of saw it all open up together. All the pieces come together and it's, yeah, that's an extraordinary moment. It's a very generous act, isn't it? It's a very generous work in that sense. We're thrilled to have it here. I think we've probably got a little bit of time. Yeah, about two minutes, <laughs> if anyone has a question. Because we want to share the microphones, which brings me to a point that I think is really interesting. The dancers were able to receive from the chief medical officer an exemption for their performances during this time. So they worked very hard to ensure that they could keep dancing together in close proximity, which I think is a wonderful thing, and it's very evident in the performance, obviously. But if anyone has a question, the acoustics in here are quite bright. So if you just want to kind of yell out, and then I could repeat your question because we are recording this talk. Yeah, the gentleman's just saying that he hadn't, wasn't familiar with Ruard's work, but there's something quite cartoon-like, and the expressions and the titles. I think that's this idea of kind of reducing human experience and human behavior to a certain series of tropes, and I think he was very, very good at that. I think it comes from the gesture. If you think about the liturgical art of stained glass, the body has to convey much and it can't move, and there's not a lot of opportunity for light and shadow, ironically enough. It becomes really a case of those strong black bands forming the body. So I think, I think that's a really acute observation.
I think on that note, I would love to, unless Hillary, yeah, go for it. I just wanted to add one last thing, which is something I've been meditating on over the last little while, is that I just think that the name and the nature of this work is just such a beautiful metaphor for where we are, especially luckily in South Australia, in Adelaide right now, and how joyous it is to be here together in a space on a Friday night. Here, um, here. At the beginning of spring. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, let's onwards and upwards, and let's hope it's the beginning of more light. Beautifully said. Absolutely. It does seem extraordinarily uh, of this moment, that's for sure. And even to be sitting here, we have the work of Tim Maguire behind us. And Tim Maguire is a Sydney-based artist who really has an international career. And this work was made, it's called King Lake Panorama. And it was made after the fires in Victoria a number of years ago. The, the pertinence of this work for now was not lost on me in selecting it. But there is also this kind of spectral journey that happens through this work is very much the bookend to, to the journey that's happening at the other end. So thank you so much for joining me, Emily and Hilary, and congratulations on a wonderful collaboration. May there be many, many more of them. Thank you for joining thank you. us, audience. <laughs>